0: Welcome to the Accelerative Thrust podcast. My name is Eric.
1: Oh, snap. That, that's my name, oh, too. Oh,
0: shoot. Yeah. <laughs> what's my name? I can't even remember. Uh, what's my name?
1: Motherfucking Snoop Dogg. Motherfuckin
0: Snoop Dogg. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, he's Dan and I'm Eric. Oh,
0: that's right. Okay. Yes. Uh, what's yeah. that? What? It, how did that song go? It was like... Uh, What's my name? Snoop? I don't remember. That's terrible. (laughs) All I know is that that first. He sounded just like him. (laughs) <laughs> like unsure of himself, <laughs> like that was before yeah. he became.
1: Like, like he's literally asking what his name
2: is. <laughs>
0: he's like, he's like, what's my name? That's before he became a big star. He didn't even know yeah. who his name. He was. got
1: he got lost halfway through spelling it. Um, <laughs> g <D-O-double-G-Y-D-O-double-G-G-
0: laughs> Oh shit! I gotta say though that I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Um, doggy mm. style. It might be one of the best debut rap albums in history.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It, that I don't know that that's a funny one, though, because he is on the chronic so much that that almost feels like his debut album.
0: Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that it's weird how a lot of people don't really understand that the chronic was actually more of like it wasn't it barely was a Dre record. It was more like a mm-hmm. showcase of like death row rappers.
1: Right. For sure. Yeah, it was weird.
0: Um, but,
1: but yeah, it's really good. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Both of those are just awesome, but
1: mm-hmm. everything
0: that new made after that, I haven't really dug.
1: I really got into the blue carpet for some reason. I don't even <laughs> know like like a, that one. It's like a way later record. And, uh, I think, maybe drop it like it's hot on is on there, but it's like that kind of production oh, yeah. all the way through. Okay. And so it's like pretty cool. It's kind of out there. And I don't know. Something weird about me is I love gangs. I love street gangs. <laughs> um <laughs> And so he talks about being a crip a lot, the, which I like. You like so
0: <laughs> You love street gangs. I did not know. I that really do. You.
1: Like if I were smarter, I would have probably gone to school to be like a gangster an anthropology major and just study street gangs. (laughs) I'm pretty serious.
0: Well, I mean, they're, they're (laughs) an interesting aspect of our culture. No doubt. I, um, I'm not going to lie that like, I mean, if I saw one, I'd probably, my first instinct would be like I'm terrified of them because of the way that they (laughs) have been portrayed in the, news i, oh, I remember well, there was yeah. a big gang problem in muscatine but
1: yeah that's what ignited my um passion
0: <laughs> were you actually like were you, so you like saw like the graffiti and you're like wow that's beautiful and yeah i thought it was really the cool. rest of the town was like putting because that was like i remember like these reports were like showing up in our local paper the muscatine journal uh, those of you who mm-hmm. um haven't you know who don't know by now uh eric and i both come from a, the town muscatine iowa and um as do
1: every one of our listeners, every single
0: one <laughs> i guarantee it they don't even the ones that like think that they grew up somewhere else it really was just yeah. muscatine with a different name i mean
1: that that's actually probably true probably um, they're all kind of the
0: same town. yeah pretty much anyway in iowa, but uh, <laughs> I, I i remember there were like these uh these reports showing up in like our local paper that was like warning parents of signs that your son or daughter might be involved in a gang. Mm -hmm. And there were rumors of, and I don't know how true they were. I, I do understand the interest though, Mm -hmm. Eric, because I remember like I would read that there were like initiations and fights and I would hear from kids at school that, I don't know, in the back alley of Sunmart on Friday night at 11 p.m. There's going to be a whole bunch of them, you know. And I just remember thinking, if only I had a car, you know, I could
2: <laughs> yeah. drive
0: by and check this out. Yeah. It. No, I
1: think what I liked is just I liked. Well, okay.
0: And, and I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have really said drive by, <laughs> like considering how like. I had just
1: assumed you meant a drive by.
0: <laughs> <don't know>, <laughs> If only I could drive. No, that's not what I meant. But I I just (laughs) thought like I was thinking drive by to see if they're actually there. And then I would like leave, you know, but like like I wouldn't stick around for that. But then I realized that I said drive by and (laughs) that could uh, be taken the wrong way. If there are any gang members listening, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) If there are any gang members listening,
0: contact um, Eric.
1: Can, can I be in your gang?
0: <laughs> well, why didn't you just start one? I mean, one? I'm
1: old, but, I, I, you know, I'll get jumped in. It's all good.
0: Why didn't you just start one?
1: Well, I don't think I was friends with the kind of people that would be in a street gang. See, but... You know what I mean? But street like, gangs
0: are all about getting new friends. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you I think about it, true. I mean, just... Recruit mm. people you don't know. That's all you got to do.
1: Yeah, but I don't like people I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I've never been in a band with people I don't know. Yeah, oh. but I
0: mean, <laughs> bands are bands are for friends. they bands are the, the yeah. you don't really want to meet new. Well, yeah, you do want to meet new friends in bands, but I mean, most of the t- most bands are started out of a desire yeah. to jam with your friends. That's true.
1: Most a lot of my bands have ended up being more similar to street gangs than bands. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh no, but I, sometimes it felt that way. Oh, okay. No, I think I love gangs <laughs> because um I don't it's really weird. I I I think I'm a nice person and I think I don't know if there were if there were a such thing as moral good, all right? I think that I would fall into that But I also love the idea of messing with society, like to a bad level, like terrorizing people. I think that it's an interesting element of our society that a report in a newspaper can cause fear. It's not real, it's not really happening. It's information that you put into your brain and it made you afraid. I just think that's interesting. And I also think that, uh, like, Gangs are kind of like cults, except they're also really uh, like uh, criminal, I guess, whereas most cults might be violent or whatever, but I guess a lot of times they're criminal too. Anyway, I like cults and I like terror. <laughs> and so, <laughs> at least as far as concepts go. And so, I think street gangs kind of just fall into that for me. And I kind of blame suicidal tendencies and probably the movie Colors. Oh, sure. For a lot yeah. of it, too. Um, you know, I just thought, I don't know, I felt this, like, and I'm sure it was because of punk rock and skateboarding and stuff, but I just felt this kinship to, like, uh, like Los Angeles skate punk stuff, and it always had that, like, um, gang edge to it, you know? And so, yeah, a lot of things combined to make me have an interest in in street
0: gangs
1: yeah no it's it's not just that i'm um crazy i mean
0: maybe. <laughs> well yeah no actually um since you clarified it and you explained it the way you did it makes total sense especially um the idea like you said of the media manipulating uh ways of thought you yeah. know and how i mean it's happening it happens all the time and it's Probably worse now than ever, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it just, it's been this fire that's been escalating in our culture for years. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, but I do, I guess like I could, I can definitely see the comparisons to cults and gangs, I guess maybe Mm -hmm. like the one difference that maybe perhaps, um, that I guess I would see from my perspective uh, between cults and gangs is that it seems like gangs are either there to help their communities and then maybe terrorize other communities or just terrorize Mm. society in general, as you put it. I think Mm. cults they're kind of more about terrorizing their own community within
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It depends on what kind of cult.
0: (laughs) Well, if you... Uh, I
1: mean, that sounds ridiculous, but... But, I mean... I don't know. There usually is someone at the top manipulating the rest. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and, and like, if you... I don't know. Like, I guess, like, I kind of wonder, for better or for worse, and this is... In no way am I advocating, like, mass suicide (laughs) or anything like that, but... If you just would have left, I mean... if, you, if you just would have left like Heaven's Gate alone, then mm-hmm. they just would have, you know, killed themselves and maybe not harmed anybody. I don't know if that's true, but that's just harmed the people within them or themselves. And right. I wonder if they yeah, would have. I see what you're saying. I wonder if they would have really done any true harm to anybody else. It makes me wonder sometimes when I hear like stuff like that. But then you also have like guys like Charles Manson, you know, who Mm -hmm. technically, if you look at like it's interesting, uh, one of the only people that have that's actually gone to prison for not really technically committing a murder you know yeah, it's for
1: for incitement for incitement
0: yeah it's interesting it's very interesting mm-hmm. uh i agree charles manson of course could be considered a cult leader and of course that guy was probably out to really harm people <laughs> you know yeah
1: i think so and so
0: yeah i guess maybe it comes down to what type of gang and what time what type of cult is this all just <laughs> basically comes down to yeah that's It's pretty funny, Uh, but um, I love this conversation. Yeah, it's a fantastic conversation. This this is glorious. Our listeners are like, "What what in the hell?" We're having a great time. We are having a great. You know what? The safest place to be in America right now is listening Mm -hmm. to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, because
1: you know we're explaining that you actually don't have to be afraid of these groups. Just stop reading and watching things that tell you to be afraid of them. Just Trust. How often have you actually had your life impacted by <laughs> a terror cell, a gang, or a cult? And honestly, if you you have, I apologize. I'm not trying to be callous. But I'm going to say the majority of our listeners have never <laughs> had those things impact their lives. So, like, it's all just uh, propaganda almost. Like, be afraid of these outsider groups and – there's really no, not a lot of reason for it. Anyway, I don't know. That's my two cents <laughs> on gangs, cults, and terror. This is really
0: a, this is really a beautiful thing we've stumbled upon, Eric. This is glorious. I'm very proud of ourselves right now.
1: <laughs> oh, me too. Yeah, I've been, I've been harboring this since the first episode. I, I've wanted to talk about it. So.
0: Well, there now you we go, you. man. It magically appeared on episode twenty-six. Um, maybe, maybe what <laughs> Which we is should... gangster
1: disciple numbers by <laughs> the way.
0: <laughs> really, you're not. You're no, shitting me. Okay, I okay. am All shitting right. you. Well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm gullible, Eric. Haven't you figured that out? <laughs> and I'm a
1: I'm a pretty good liar. So.
0: <laughs> you, you really are. You you've made we make me a believe... good team. <laughs> you've just single handedly made me believe that gangs and cults can do no wrong just now (laughs) and that's amazing well
1: i mean really only to themselves and other cults and gangs you know that'd be a really funny an interesting story or graphic novel for someone to write where the cults are street gangs
0: huh yeah
1: i'd read. i'd read that
0: (laughs) yeah it's kind of happened already like it there's Hmm. i can't think of any uh certain examples right now but there has been examples of like okay well okay you know the the tick this is Mm -hmm. this is a hilarious example actually but like the tick Mm -hmm. like um i've i'm watching the new series on amazon prime right now which Mm -hmm. came out a couple three years ago and Mm -hmm. i mean the the uh villainous sort of if you really think about it the the Stereotypical, like 80s villain in like, I don't know, like Cobra, Cobra Commander. I sorry. I, yeah. I jumped from the tick to G.I. Joe. I'm scatterbrained oh, right now. Free. But like Cobra. Com- jumped
1: like a tick to G.I. Joe.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, God, ticks. I'm more scared of ticks than I am of street <laughs> gangs or colts. Tick. No, seriously.
1: colts. Oh, man. I know. What if, if you ran into a tick gang?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Okay. Then you might—they might as well call themselves the Lyme disciples, because (laughs) that's the thing. Um, Gangs and cults cannot give you Lyme disease, (laughs) and that, like—that's true. Lyme disease is a terrifying thing. I I mean, it really really is. is. I mean, if you really think about it, like. But okay, so I jumped from the tick to GI Joe to Lyme disease. Um, Where are we? Oh. G.I. Joe, Cobra Commander, I mean, basically Cobra Commander is like a cult leader. I mean. Yeah, that's true. If you really think about it, like, that's kind of what a lot of the stereotypical organizations in, like, 80s comic books were. They were kind of like. Like crime cults. Crime cults, dude. (laughs) That is the best name for a band ever. Crime cult.
1: Well. Let's see who starts it first.
0: <laughs> feel free to rip us off, everyone. Yeah. Um.
1: Let us let us review it. Let us. When you put something out.
0: Lettuce in a salad. Ooh. Um,
1: speaking of reviews, oh my god, I feel like
0: <laughs> it took us.
1: I feel like maybe we should get to some music.
0: Yeah, that <laughs> took that a might, lot out of me. <laughs> that might actually might not be a that bad That was some idea.
1: heavy duty bullshit <laughs> coming out of
0: our mouths absolutely uh, heavy-duty bullshit but you I'm know i'm a what? little spent <laughs> i really like heavy-duty bullshit sometimes though so that's me too we, we really i don't
1: even remember what started this whole street gang uh thing. snoop dog oh right the crips the and crips blue carpet treatment yeah. yeah it's kind of a cool record you should yeah check it out.
0: i i do like drop it when it's hot that that is such a great song drop it while it's hot which one is it when or mm-hmm. while i think
1: like like it's Oh, drop hot? it
0: like it's hot. Okay, drop it when it's hot.
1: um I mean, that's a good idea. Too. Yeah, that's
0: true. And you really should drop, <laughs> drop it if
1: it's hot. Yeah,
0: in both <laughs> metaphorical and real ways. Because if you drop something that is hot, that is like mm-hmm. say a song that is really hot, that's a good idea to drop the song when it's hot. That's true, but. Also if you're holding yeah. on to something that's oh. really hot.
1: Uh, okay. I thought I thought you were going to talk about maybe if you had like um some bad Chinese food <laughs> or something.
0: Well, okay. So now we're... like
1: drop it if it's hot. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you don't okay. want to keep it
0: inside. Gotcha. Oh god, I have a I actually have a story to t- oh, tell no. about hot no. Chinese food, but it'll be for another time because we really do need to get into these
2: Reviews. oh
0: man okay uh it's uh it's a funny <sighs> one because it involves oh. both my dad and my uncle arguing <laughs> maybe i will let you guys know maybe we'll talk about it after we're bonus done with content But Bo- yeah bonus content uh aka after the reviews <laughs> oh, <laughs> seems like God. everything we talk about is bonus uh. content these days I know. Um,
1: and while we're at it, though, I will say, if you are getting ready to turn this off, <laughs> um, we will be reviewing a record by Brazil, right? Yes. That's Brazil. a local. Once. It's going to be our first classic local review. Yes. It, they, so this is from 1999. Yep. They were Love a, lost her job today. They were an am- so, amazing,
0: amazing group, and we'll get into that. So...
1: Yep. So just in case you were going to turn off this episode, cause it's utter bullshit. <laughs> um, that'll be coming up and it'll probably be just slightly bullshit. So yes.
0: Anyway, who
1: ready when you are. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, I'm going first this time, right, Eric?
1: Yep. That's right.
0: Okay. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Aesop rocks, bazooka tooth. Um, so Aesop rock, for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, Well, first of all, he's an artist that, of course, was reviewed uh, as one of Eric's picks with um, Mm -hmm. Malibu Ken, his collaboration he did fairly recently with Tobacco. Uh, Aesop Rock's been a rapper um, in the New York kind of underground scene for a long time. I think his first album actually came out in like 97 or something, Mm -hmm. Um, and... So he's been doing the rap stuff um, for a long time. And it's interesting, too, that there was that one rapper that came out, I don't know, I think like 10 years ago, called ASAP Rocky. Mm -hmm. I kind of I've always wondered if that kind of contributed to ASAP Rock kind of becoming more sort of well known, like he's not mainstream, but he's definitely gotten a lot more recognition because i wonder how many like um how many times somebody typed in asap rocky and it brought up asap rock on accident hmm. or something yeah. like that i kind of wonder if some of uh asap's sort of newfound success could be attributed to that but also i mean he's on rhyme sayers which is atmosphere's label and they're huge anyway so aside from all of that <clears throat> the record that i wanted to talk to you today or talk to talk about today uh is Bazooka Tooth this is his fourth album that came out on the label Def Jux who as I've mentioned uh many times on this show uh was one of my favorite hip-hop labels in the early 2000s like early to mid 2000s um and I wanted to talk about it because it actually initially was not one of my favorite records from him. Um, Probably my favorite record overall is Labor Days, which is the one that came before it. Um, And that one had kind of more of a, I guess you could say sort of a jazzier kind of one note production on it uh, from Blockhead. And that style just fit perfectly with what Aesop Rock was doing at the time. Um, And I've listened to Bazooka Tooth quite a bit and I've always liked it, but I think I appreciate it now more than I ever did. Um, It is a um, very dense, uh, very kind of hyperactive sort of record that kind of moves fast into a lot of different directions. And um, is if you actually listen to Labor Days and then, this record labor days came out in 2001. This one came out in 2003 and it's amazing in terms of production. It almost doesn't even sound like the same rapper. Now, Aesop's style of rapping is, you know, has pretty much remained consistent. You know, I mean, he pretty much has always sounded like he does as far as a, uh, uh, as far as rhyming. But, in terms of production it sounds like two totally different artists uh this one was just a lot i would say a lot crazier um as far as production goes and it's got this weird sort of new york identity to it that Mm -hmm. i really feel like when i'm listening to it i really feel like i'm sort of running through or jogging through like the streets of downtown new york like that's kind of how the beats like sound to me um most of the production on this was handled by aesop rock himself as well as lp uh did some stuff on it as well and i think even blockhead might have done some things but it's um it's a rap record that it at first listen, it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Um, and over the years, it's just grown on me and grown on me and grown on me. Like I said, I, I always liked it from the first listen, but it's gotten to the point now where it, it's probably one of my favorites from him. Hmm. It's um, it's just a, a, a record that is not afraid to... It just sort of sounds to me like Aesop rock at this moment in time was just sort of kind of did like an anything goes approach in terms of production. There's all kinds of like crazy sounds and samples going on the New York identity, of course, similar to the LP record that I reviewed last time. Uh, You can hear like the sort of influence of old school hip hop while also very much moving forward. It's a very forward-thinking record, I think. Um there's um a lot of really awesome sort of interludes in between the songs that some of them are just absolutely hilarious. Um Aesop's rhyme mm-hmm. books they've always had to me they just it's it just seems like he writes a novel per song. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. insane and the subject matter goes from here to there, but it all seems to have one cohesive sort of concept at the same time. Um, it's got a lot of great guest appearances from camp low in this project called party fun action committee, uh, which was a, like a joke, R and slash rap group that included blockhead. Um, And they put out one record on Definitive Jux around this time as well. Uh, LP's on it. Mr. Lith is on it, who was uh, another great Def Jux MC. And then there's also a lot of, like, um, talking that goes on in between some of the songs. Mm -hmm. Like, it almost invokes this sort of feeling of, like, Aesop Rock and, like, his friends were just kind of going around and taping people and getting them to say bazooka tooth for some reason. (laughs) There's a lot of that kind of going on and it's just, it's hilarious. Um, It's, it's a rap record that I feel is just very well aware of what it is. And I think it accomplished what it set out to do, which is just to be as just fucked up as possible at the time, but also um making you know paying tribute to or just paying homage to what came before it um and i mean some of these lyrics like i have an example i just have to read this uh Mm -hmm. the second track called ny electric just to give you an example of the type of rhyming that Aesop rock and this was 2003 um skippers out of happy pills again he's in the neighbor's garbage he's making paper dolls decorated with targets he's labeling the dolls with the names of shitty rap artists then tearing out the still beating heart from the loose leaf carcass i ordered a hovercraft off the back page of an archie comic built in three days to float above snarky comments (laughs) it's just the word flow is just so it's it's just stupid in like the best way i yeah and then then he follows that up with my gills call the east river rock bottom home with three eyed guppies and seahorse mutations like what (laughs) rapper talks about this Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's no wonder that in 2003 this was just like this was like outsider rap music or something Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's insane (laughs) Another reason why I decided I could have picked any Aesop Rock record, honestly, Eric. But Mm -hmm. um, another reason why I wanted to pick this is I kind of feel that while I really enjoyed Labor Days and it probably, like I said, is still my favorite record from him, Mm -hmm. I feel that Bazooka Tooth is kind of where Aesop Rock started to really like find his own sound because Mm -hmm. this was the first time that you really heard Aesop Rock do his own production on things. And then eventually he evolved from, okay, LP would jump on and do like a, um, would do like, you know, a beat. Blockhead would do a beat to where he's producing everything himself now, which I think is mm-hmm. just amazing. So this is kind of the record, to me anyway, that like I view it as like the record where we start to see, aesop's evolution into like what he does now Mm -hmm. so yeah uh and it's just a to me it's a it's a classic rap record it's a classic aesop record um really you can't go wrong with anything that aesop was doing around this time but really you can't go wrong with anything that aesop's ever put out so it's just Mm -hmm. it's hard it's hard it was hard for me to pick i almost picked The last record that he put out, the newest one, uh, *Spirit Mm. World Field Guide*, because that Mm. one is just as good and just as crazy, and I would say just as forward-thinking as this. This in two thousand and three. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. unbelievable. And for an artist, in my opinion, in rap music, especially in rap music, uh, because you know, like I find that a lot of a lot of rappers they kind of don't stay as fresh after so many years. And I mean, that's true with really any genre of music, but with Aesop rock, I think everything he's put out has been just fantastic. What did you Hmm. think of this one, Eric?
1: Yeah, I thought it was, sorry. I thought it was really good. Um, I don't have a lot to add. Um, Yeah. The production's really cool. It is very dense, like beyond, Dense. You almost have to dig through the music to find the song, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Like, it's just, um, yeah, it's it has a lot of different types of samples um, from like soul music, jazz, um, big synths. Um, like a couple of things on here um, could have been on Malibu Ken and I wouldn't have been that shocked. You know, absolutely it had a, a big synthesizer sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Again,
0: like old school beats. Just a second. Oh, that was that was sorry. The coolest that noise the ever. That was a cat. Oh, my gosh. The, being a, you know what? A we should have jerk. the jerk. Your cat should be a guest on our show sometime. Oh, my God. Like, Ugh. so all of his answers will just make that noise.
1: Yeah. Here, give me one second. I'm going to okay. do something about this. We might have to edit this out.
0: I I don't know. I'm kind of... Yeah. The
1: sound of me beating my cat. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm going to put him in the other room.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, kitty kitty. Here, kitty kitty. Gosh, man, that is a intense cat. Wow. Okay. Oof. What that, were you saying now? Oh, I was saying that. Uh, well, the first thing I said was, here, kitty, kitty. And oh, then, then, I, then I said, that is an intense cat. Like, yeah. making that sort of noise. <laughs> <laughs> is that like.
1: Well, my whole desk is microphonic because of my microphone arm.
0: Oh. I love that I, term, it, It's like an
1: arm that attaches to the desk. I don't actually have a microphone for an arm.
0: <laughs> Dude, uh, I like that. I like that term "microphonic." Though I've never heard that.
1: Yeah, it's like when something that shouldn't be becomes a microphone, like sure. my desk.
0: Oh, See, man, hear that? That's amazing. <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe that should be our theme song.
1: Just me tapping. Yeah, like yeah, like whatever. just
0: do like a melody, like. <clears throat> <laughs> <clears throat> uh,
1: I'm going to start my review over. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Okay. So Aesop Rock, <laughs> Mazuka too. Uh depending on what e- editing happens, we just had an issue with my cat. So, um yeah. So I was just saying that the production is super wild and super dense. Um, and I was saying you have to dig through the music to find the song. It's like so so much is happening and there's so much effects on everything that it's almost like purposely uh, i i am not trying to sound smart here i just can't think of another word but obfuscated like it's purposefully thick you can't see through it you right. can't hear through it and i think that um i think that's really cool because i think it almost w- works better that way because Aesop rocks delivery is so conversational and informative but also like hard like yeah. he never really pulls back if that makes any sense it's always yeah, yeah. His, it's like really
0: just hard
1: his, all the time his
0: cadence is like a machine gun yeah
1: and so if the music were sparse or soft or something that would come off as if he were actually trying to sound hard and trying to be intimidating and things like that. But I think with the music, the way it is, that's not how it comes off. So, um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, The, the beats were cool. All the samples were cool. Um, And yeah, I don't have a lot to add to what you said about it, Dan. I think that Aesop rock is one of those things. It's just like so solid and, And like you said, accomplishes what it sets out to do that. It's like, I don't, this is a ridiculous comparison, but my wife and I recently watched a nightmare on Elm street movie. I think it was, um, dream child, no dream warriors. And, um, and we watch a lot of crappy horror movies and we have a really great time laughing at them. And, um, you know, because either they're, they try to be funny And they are, or they try to be funny and they fail, or they try to be good and they're funny. You know, lots of different... But the Nightmare on Elm Street movies are so, like, good and polished and exactly what they want to be that it's like you just watch them and you're like, yeah, that was super great. You know, it's not... It's like a different kind of reaction. Yeah. And I think that's how I'm starting to feel about Aesop Rock is just like, yeah, he's just nailing it. It's just perfection. And what are you going to do about it? You know? And so it makes for a really fun listen um but i wasn't you know shocked or anything by it but that's fine it's like this constant state of shock which yeah. is also really cool so what yeah. what do you yeah.
0: think of all the um like talking parts like i love the uh <laughs> the uh end of the first track the the mm-hmm. self where he's like you don't want me smiling at your cameras right and then just yeah. just other stuff like cameras and guns, one of y'all's gonna shoot me to death. And then there's that one part at the beginning of one of the later songs where Murz is on it and he's all like You yeah, hey stupid. You're listening <laughs> yeah. to Bazooka tooth and yeah. then he's like dental cannons, molar pistols, shit like that. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. There was a lot of great interludes and like so to, sort of like parts that sounded like maybe they're on an answering machine yeah or yeah things like that uh,
0: there's also that one part where that guy's like i'm saying bazooka tooth right <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah and he's like bazooka tooth bitch <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like ridiculous and then like yeah. oh yeah the honeycomb interlude was my favorite one though like hmm. i don't know if you remember that one it's like it was i think it was the honeycomb cereal commercial and oh. it was just like aesop rock was singing along with it (laughs) it's a wonderful night or a wonderful time it's a wonderful time (laughs) and then you actually hear aesop like or maybe it's not aesop but i think it is and at the end he's just like so stupid (laughs) it's that's why i'm i'm like sorry i'm taking too much time on this release but i love that it's like uh this record clearly was just not afraid to get stupid you know? Yeah,
1: for sure. It was great. Yeah, it's super good. I liked it.
0: All right. So uh, what um, what surprises, what sweets do you have for me, Eric?
1: Well, the first record I am going to talk about is a group called Q65. Um, the record is called Revolution. It came out in 1966. And I heard about this. Um, I follow this Instagram page called scene in between and all it is is like photographs like found photos of um, people playing in like psych uh, bands and things from the 60s and um, it's really fun to look at the equipment and the clothes and gear and stuff. But in the background of one of them was a Q65 poster, and I had no idea what Q65 was. I'd never heard of them in my life. So I checked out this record, and, yeah, so um, it's basically fairly traditional blues-influenced psych stuff. Um, It's from the Netherlands. Apparently there was a scene called the Needer Beat, which was sort of the Dutch answer to... um, Kind of garage rock and uh, British invasion stuff, um, and a lot of the blues uh, kind of rock stuff that was happening at the time, and the psych stuff. So, Neater Beat. I'd never heard of it. So, I always am interested when I find a, a new scene or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I said, this is pretty traditional. It's got, you know, blues, it's got. I mean, they cover Spoonful, which literally every single psych blues band from the time covered Spoonful, and it's a good song, so it makes sense. But they also mix in a lot of Middle Eastern um, scales and uh, drums to an extent, super fuzzy guitars, uh, trippy production with vibrato and tremolo, and everything's panned hard to the left and right. And, you know, it, you've heard it before. Um, whether it be uh their Satanic Majesty's request by the stones or if you're into like thirteenth floor elevators or uh, I don't even know holy modal rounders, all kinds of I mean there's a million groups, apparently that sound like this, but what really I liked about this was I thought they had a heavier sound to them the songs themselves they did a lot of half steps um in their uh chord progressions which is something that doesn't happen very often in this kind of music uh because it's really disorienting and kind of gross but it also adds like this kind of darkness to it that not a lot of people did until like grunge came around and like grunge used that half-step movement all the time it like is Sort of the secret sauce if you were ever going to like try to start writing grunge songs. Half step is how you do it. Um, But anyway, I also liked, excuse me, that they had compared to their counterparts, I felt like they had darker lyrics, more misanthropic lyrics, like a little more. I don't want to say this is like proto goth or anything, but it's super moody and the lyrics are super internalized and dark and seemed to kind of foreshadow that kind of songwriting. And I just think that has a really aggressive vocal sound too, really buzzy. And there's a bit of an accent, which sometimes just adds to the otherness of this, the sound of this, because I would put this on the same level as maybe like the Sonics or other stuff from that time where you're just like wow or even like the trash men like where you're like where did what how did it get this far off track and um yeah so uh the record as it is on spotify has six added tracks which i don't think really add anything to it um but the release as it was put out i think is really cool and if you're into all that psych stuff and blues rock I hate saying blues rock because it automatically makes me think of Eric Clapton, but I'm talking more like the Stones and things like that. Um, if you're into that stuff already, I think this is worth checking out. I think you'll find stuff on it you really like. So, what do you think, Dan?
0: Yeah, this this is great. I mean, I 100% agree with you. It's it's pretty traditional. It's not it's not pushing a lot of boundaries. There definitely is a lot of stuff that, uh, everything you you said, everything you compared it to the stones, the 13th floor elevators. It reminded me too of this other group. Um, I think it's called the West coast art experimental band or something like Mm. that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or maybe it's the pop experimental Mm. band. Do you know, are you familiar with them at all, Eric? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminded me a little bit of that. Definitely had some really trippy sort of, um, you know, tones, which I really like. Uh, Also, kind of put me in mind, not the songs and the sound or the style of music, not necessarily, but the, uh, some of it put me in mind of the first pink Floyd record, the, sure. uh, Piper Absolutely. at the gates of Dance uh, dan the piper at the gates of dan (laughs) that's your next solo record right there i think that's our next podcast title Um, oh snap (laughs) the piper at the gates of dan Uh, but yeah that might also be my next solo record um the piper at the gates of dan uh i don't like to give away secrets though Hmm. but you're all hearing it um (laughs) Anyway, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. It Mm. reminded me of some of that. And I I think that's great. Um, Yeah, it's just, if you're really into that sort of um, 60s, when did this come out? 68, you said? 66. 66. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're into this, um, you know, like the psychedelic sort of, um, not really too experimental, but, you know, just sort of, yeah like a like sort of an eerie tone um yeah it you're gonna love this and i i would say even if you're into like the beatles you know Mm -hmm. really just kind of or the beach boys it it has that Mm -hmm. sort of eeriness to it but also just really well written i don't want to say pop songs but definitely Mm -hmm. like you know structured pretty much very traditionally I mean, Mm -hmm. there is that sort of freak out 13 minute closing song, Mm -hmm. you know, where they kind of get a little, a little, um, carried away, but it's not, you know, it's not like Sonic youth carried away or anything, you know, but it's, it's cool. Yeah. I I really enjoyed it and I can't really add much more to it. I, I think this is really great stuff. Nice. For sure. Um, okay. So that brings us to Queens of the stone age uh rated r this is their second record that came out in the year 2000 um Ooh. queens of the stone age is a band that i've uh i've been a fan of since uh their big record songs for the death uh the one that came out after this um i knew about them before that but never really listened to them uh, a friend of mine uh his name is chris he now lives in um albuquerque new mexico but he lived here in iowa uh he played me this on cassette actually he had like a dubbed cassette copy of it or something Hmm. in his car and i really started to enjoy it and it actually uh it that's what kind of prompted me to get songs for the deaf. but this record to me is probably their best record for those of you who don't know who Queens of the Stone Age are, and I'm assuming that a large majority of you have probably at least heard of them, uh, because, I mean, they they were pretty popular and still are a very popular uh, rock band. Uh, it started out, I guess, kind of as the solo project of uh, Josh Homme, who was in Caius with... Um, Oh, I think his name is Chris Goss, who um, he was also in that guy was also has also kind of been influential in sort of the whole sludge metal scene or whatever, Uh, because Caius were definitely sort of in that sort of vein, a little a lot more than Queens of the Stone Age. Um, But the first Queens of the Stone Age record, um, it sounded more in that vein, kind of but not really but it definitely was leaning more towards kind of like a like a sludge or doom metal sort of thing not really though uh, and then this one just kind of it just sort of seemed uh Josh Homme kind of did like a uh anything goes kind of approach uh but at the same time i mean in terms of like the songwriting goes it's It's definitely a little off kilter, but it's also very um, I, I mean, I I know people who are into like just pure pop music that like Queens of the Stone Age. So it's kind of I wouldn't call Josh Homme a standard pop songwriter, but he does write some really great songs that are just really catchy and kind of ear candy. Um, if you ask me. But anyway, Queens of the Stone Age, they've, every album is kind of a rotating lineup. So it's different people with a lot of different guests. On this record in particular, um, the first track, uh, it's called Feel Good Hit of the Summer. And it's literally just, um, it's just like the same, like six substances repeated over and over again in this melody, which is just, so stupid, but so catchy. And what I find really interesting is, I'm not sure if you if you knew this or if you did any research on this or not, Eric. But the first track includes guest vocals from Rob Halford. Wow. <laughs> Rob Halford is helping him sing nicotine, valium, vicodin, marijuana, ecstasy, and alcohol. cocaine and it's like you
1: you really can't tell it's him yeah you can't tell it's him
0: i mean he's i think i i'm not even sure if you can really hear him in the mix Hmm. like i think because i i think a bunch of people were like singing that Hmm. (laughs) like with. it's so weird uh so that's that's a strange beginning to the um album but the production and the songwriting and the guitar playing and just the the entire package of this record, the um, delivery is just so amazing to me. I mean, such great songs like the, the Lost Art of Keeping a Secret has this breakdown um, where it kind of it does this like robotic, almost like Devo thing with the guitar. It doesn't sound like Devo, mm-hmm. but it it it. it just literally he makes the guitar sound like a robot that is just like malfunctioning and shuts off for like a split second. And then goes into like this next bridge or whatever. It's just absolutely mind blowing. Um, and then there's like a couple of songs like Josh Homme doesn't sing every song. Uh, Mark Lanigan from, uh, uh, screaming trees. And also his, uh, He's um, done a lot of solo records. Was heavily involved and sang a couple songs on this, and songs for the death. And then Nick Oliveri, the bass player, sings two songs: uh, "Quick into the Pointless" and "Tension Head," which Hmm. "Tension Head" has some of the heaviest music I've ever heard. It just—it's so crazy and um, almost gets into like something like today is the day territory for a second. Hmm. Um, and then just all of a sudden goes into like this really just super relaxing instrumental acoustic track um, called lightning song. And then the album closer though. Um, I think I lost my headache. That's, that's the one that really did it for me. It's hmm. like this eight minute song and it, it, It's this repetitive sort of bass line over and over again until like the bass and the guitar and everything fades out at the end and then closes with a saxophone doing the same line for like a minute and a half. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on this record that you could call kind of experimental, but it's not experimental music. It's just more uh, sounds like, He's doing a lot of experimenting in the studio, which I think that's what Queens of the Stone Age is about. Like Aesop Rock, I could really pick any Queens record, though, um, Mm -hmm. because, again, this is a band that I like everything they've put out. Uh, Yeah, if you're a fan of, I mean, the sludge metal that Josh was doing in Caius, if you're a fan of, I don't know, even something like Nirvana or... Even like the Melvins or something, I think you'll like this, but also, um, I it you know, like I said, Josh's vocals, even like something like Radiohead at times, just kind of the way that he sings, there's just a lot kind of going on, like, and but it's it's all in this well contained package. So, uh, what did you think of this, Eric?
2: <clears throat>
1: yeah, I liked it. Um, so, this is probably going to be on par with my Wayne's World revelation, but uh-huh. I've never listened to the Queens of the Stone Age. Oh, really? I've never. Yeah, I've never act, actively listened to this record, but I feel like I've heard most of the songs. So, I don't know if I was just around it being played at points or if some of these songs were on the radio, um, but it, they didn't seem unfamiliar to me. I don't sure. know why, but... Um, I really liked it. Uh, it's fun to come into things not knowing anything about it. Like, sure, other people have been listening to this for over 20 years, and this is like my first time. So, it kind of made me think of this theory, and maybe I'm way off base here. But, considering this is 2000, right? Right. I kind of feel like... Okay. So... I don't know exactly how to put this, but okay, so grunge happened, right? Sure. And the dominant strain of grunge, the one that beat everything else out, that became popular, was sort of that Creed strain of grunge. Like, and three doors down or whatever crap. I don't even know what any of this stuff is. But, and that's what was on... The radio, that's what grunge became and turned into. I would say a lesser strain of what grunge became could be something like this. Like, it has those elements to it. It has so many different elements from that time. And like I said, I'm coming at this totally blind. I didn't hear a lot of, and I know I've heard of Queens of the Stone Age. I've heard people talk about them and how they're like a stoner rock band. I really didn't get that from this record. No, honestly, no, this, this sounded to me of all the groups that I know. It sounded, and I'm a huge fan of this band. It sounded almost just like the toadies to me. Oh, there you go. I musically, it's like, boom, it's right there. And all the things the toadies do, because they jump around a lot too. That's, that's a great Um, comparison. And it's kind of like if Lane Staley from Alice in Chains, was doing vocals for the toadies. That's kind of what it sounded like to me. I heard hints of clutch and not just the end of the record where it reminded me of, uh, elephant riders with the kind of orchestra instruments coming in or band instruments. Sorry. Um, but yeah. And then even coming some of the screamy vocals that happened near the end of the record yeah. reminded me a lot of when Kurt Cobain would do that. Sure. So, if my comparisons are the Toadies, Alice in Chains, and Nirvana, then this has to sort of be in the realm of grunge. It's like a Venn diagram of the Toadies, Nirvana, and Alice in Chains. And in the middle is Queens of the Stone Age. But like I said, everyone I've ever talked to is like, oh, yeah, they do stoner rock and like heavy stuff. And I was like, and when I heard this, I was like, whoa, this is not that at all like maybe it is and i'm missing it or i'm just so used to things being heavy i don't know but
0: can uh, can i offer a little insight absolutely Um, (laughs) so this is the reason why people say that about queens of the stone age okay is because josh hami was in caius have you heard caius
1: i have a little not much but yeah caius
0: were absolutely 100 a stoner rock band right like they were unapologetically stoner rock. Yeah. And then they broke up and then Josh Homme formed Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Queens of the Stone Age's first album that came out in 98 mm-hmm. um it was self-titled was pretty much a stoner rock record. Okay. And it sounded but not really. I like kind of I mentioned like mm-hmm. it was more stoner rock than this record. Mm-hmm. Um and so one of the reasons why Everybody, I think, sort of that you've talked to uh, put Queens of the Stone Age under the Stoner Rock banners because of their heavy association with Stoner Rock, right. with Caius. Um, gotcha. Now, and I think maybe a lot of them were kind of talking about referencing them from when from the first album,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which was a lot closer to a Stoner Rock record than this one. Yeah. Now, having said that, since you have not... Um, listen to any other Queens of the Stone Age. Mm -hmm. One of the things I am going to say about this band—literally, not one album that they've put out sounds the same. Okay, like literally every single record. So the first record is pretty much like a stoner rock record, but not really. Mm -hmm. This record, I think you're onto something there. I can't believe I didn't, I didn't pick out toad because yeah, you're absolutely right, toadies. Like yeah. that is like and, the and perfect with
1: Alice and Chain's vocals and not just the yeah. lead vocal with the background vocals too. And I I I mean, it sounds like I'm I maybe being diminutive or something, but well, I love it. And the Toadies I, are one of my favorite bands of all time. I guess so. I
0: guess I guess <laughs> I'm not really me personally. And I have nothing against Alice in Chains at all, but like, mm-hmm. I don't really hear the Allison Chains like that. You're kind of oh, okay. I want, are you? Are you? I wonder if maybe you're referring to the songs that Mark Lanigan sings, because he's got more of a sort of like a. Did you notice that there were different vocalists on on different songs? I assumed
1: songs? that there were at least two. Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: the track "Some Autopilot" and um. I can't remember what track number eight is. And I've been listening. to I'm one of these people that has been listening to this for 20 years. And I, can't, mm-hmm. I still can't remember song titles. But anyway, those are the two, the slower tracks, the more groove oriented, sort mm-hmm. of slower track. Like one of them was almost bordering on like musically like soul or something <laughs> like really kind of weird stuff.
1: Well, like when it like in Monsters in the Parasol, when he's just singing the chorus, it's like monsters in the parasol Parasol. like it's got a
0: you know what that song kind of you know it it,
1: it, it's kind of like how i don't know how i heard like the slower alice in chain songs
0: i i can kind of i don't know i i kind of see where you're coming from but you know what that song in particular musically reminds me of Hmm. the weirdness of the pixies yeah i can see the way kind of like kind of like like a poppy thing anyway aside from all that yeah um Songs for the Deaf, Mm -hmm. the album after this, is even crazier musically than this. Okay. And actually does have some, like, what you would call desert vibes to it. Okay, right. Almost stoner, but not... Queens of the Stone Age, when they do do, like, almost like a stoner rock thing, they Mm -hmm. almost never quite get there. You know what I mean? Like, it's always... Kind of, and that's what I really like about them. Um, But literally, like, there's an album they released. Their last album they put out is called Villains. And they actually um, worked with Mark Ronson, who produces, like, a lot of pop musicians. Hmm. And I was a little worried about it, because I was like, well, how's this going to sound? And they utilized him perfectly. It's like some weird, like, it's almost like a new wave version of Queens of the Stone Age, but done right. And so, like every single album they've put out is completely different. Era Vulgaris, which is a uh, a record that came out in like 2007, that one is like almost electronic in its execution. Hmm. Like it's, but it's not because it's played all on instrument or all mm-hmm. not instruments.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. On
0: guitars, guitars, bass, and drum, but it mm-hmm. almost sounds like you know, you know, like matter cool. of fact, I remember reading an interview where Josh. Compared the sound of Era Vulgaris to a construction worker, but a dark construction worker.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: that's a crazy description. But I can yeah. almost like, so yeah. I I really encourage you to check out more cool. of this band. If I will. You, if, yeah, if you like this album,
1: I did like it a lot. I really I think, liked the use of vibraphone. I think that yeah. that's something oh, that yes. doesn't get utilized enough, and they added yeah, on fun. at least two songs.
0: So, sure, <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> but, sweet. I totally see what you're saying. Like when, when somebody says, Hey, Queens of the stone age is a stoner rock band and you give them this album, they're going to be like, what? And like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, it is, it is. We, that is one thing that I did kind of find a little, I do kind of find a little misleading is when people say, Oh, Queens of the stone age are a stoner rock band.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. Definitely. Um, okay so for our local release well I still week, have one more oh shit you do don't you
1: <laughs>
0: I, I assume
1: that you want to forget it
0: <laughs> no 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 not at all not at all um, all right so I'll just fuck, I I'll just jump forgot. into it
1: and I'll try not to go off about this one um but I might because no go
0: ahead because it, it it's absolutely amazing anyway go cool
1: on. so it's called I don't I, I'm gonna just mess it up but I'll spell it for y'all lingua ignata or lingua ignata okay l-i-n-g-u-a is the first word i-g-n-o-t-a is the second word i'm just going to call it lingua ignata it means um the unknown language or something like that the record's called caligula um came out in 2019 i've been meaning to check this out uh since it came out, I got into it from things like Earth Eater, um, for some reason, was in the similar realm. So anyway, um, the main musician, uh, her name is Christine Hader. She's a classically trained multi-instrumentalist. Um, this record is very intense. I mean, it may be one of the most intense Records I've heard, it's shocking. You feel the person making it is an untrustworthy narrator, you know, or like a uh, untrustworthy director. Kind of like when the first time you see uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you realize that the people making this can't really be trusted. Um, I guess I can talk about what this sounds like. Sort of. Um, there are elements of classical. Uh, Big time. In fact, the third song, uh, the reason I wanted to review this, what really hooked me, the third song, the main section of it is Henry Purcell's um, Funeral for the Queen Mary, uh, which is the foundation of the theme for Clockwork Orange. Uh, Wendy Carlos took the funeral march for Queen Mary and reappropriated it on the synthesizer lingua Ignata turned around and used it for a sample anyway um this is beyond dark this is like I mean I've expressed my my undying love for Satan numerous times on the show but um <laughs> if, if you also love the devil uh, you're gonna really like this <laughs> record um there's elements of classical like I said there's elements of doom there's elements of post-industrial. Um, I really can't describe what this sounds like. I'm going to give you a list of musicians that I think have elements of this. First of all, Current 93. If you like Current 93, okay, you are going to love this. If you are always on the search for something dark, something disorienting, unstable, like I said, which definitely Current 93 is, things like Gallus, um, things like Scott Walker or the Swans or Einstein's and Neubauten vocals uh, somewhere between PJ Harvey, Diamanda Gallus and that person from con 8. I mean, it's like brutal black metal vocals at times. The music hardly ever is not that it doesn't veer into some like power violence sometimes or whatever. Um, But it's mostly, I would say, classical-oriented. A lot of piano, a lot of strings, um, synthesizers. And it's just heartbreaking, heartache, mysticism, paganism. It's sad and slow and just insanely intense. The only way I can really describe it, and this is going to sound poetic and stupid at the same time. But when you listen to it, all I can think of is this would be like being in the soul of a haunted house. <laughs> I know that sounds lame, but like if you really think of what a haunted house would be, like spirits trapped in a house. They would teeter between absolute sadness and and crushing violent anger and and torture and all of that is on this record. And I just think it comes off as really beautiful and outrageously intense. And so, yeah. What do you think, Dan?
0: (laughs) Man, this uh, I I guess I just kind of feel like if um, if you don't feel something when you listen to this, then there's no way you can be human. (laughs) It's (laughs) just um, it. Yeah, I agree with you that it's one of the most intense things I've ever heard, because it starts off faithful servant friend of christ Mm
2: -hmm. the first
0: track which is pretty much an ambient track and she does this gorgeous singing and then Mm -hmm. do you doubt me traitor the second song which is like almost 10 minutes long uh starts off like that kind of Mm -hmm. somebody's trying to call me hold on a second (laughs) okay i'm gonna decline the call uh so um do you doubt me trader kind of starts off like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then halfway through the song, uh, just all of a sudden she just goes into this, the most terrifying screams I've ever heard in my life. It's <laughs> right? like, it doesn't, it's I, I can't even really compare them to black metal because they're scarier than black metal. Even. Yeah. I, it, yeah. Like it sounds real. Like it sounds mm-hmm. like, and I, I kind of looked into this record a little bit cause I was hmm. so curious and I guess that she uh, is a survivor of domestic abuse. Okay. And so that kind of makes sense when you actually like think about the feeling that is being conveyed in this record and hmm. the themes and the, and so like, then of course there's the, there's a song titled if the poison won't take you, my dogs will.
1: Oh my God What the song titles should give you nightmares
0: yeah it's, it's, <laughs> it's chilling it's seriously chilling like my may failure be your noose hmm.
2: uh,
0: it's so crazy uh, but I think what a lot of it maybe I'm not right here maybe I'm completely wrong maybe I'm missing the point but it seems to me like a lot of it is just about escaping that sort of that sort of a situation with the most extreme possible expression. Like I, maybe I'm wrong about that, but that that's how I kind of interpret this Mm -hmm. whole record because it, the way that she like is screaming at times, it's so chilling that it actually sounds like she is being tortured Like, it's crazy. Like, and so.
1: And it does come off as if she is psychologically. Yeah.
0: And so I wonder if maybe, like, this is just sort of like her way of sort of saying this shit is real. Like, you know what Hmm. I mean? Because honestly, this is probably one of the most brutally honest portraits that I've ever heard, like, sonically from anybody. Like, it just. Yeah. It sounds so real. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not sure if I can think of another record that emotionally sounds as real as this record. It's unbelievable.
1: I also think it's important to mention that there are moments of real beauty on here too, though. Oh yes, absolutely. Like Um, there are entire songs that sound like Nico. I mean, they're they're gorgeous.
0: Well, that that's so tra- not
1: just torture and screaming. No, no, not at
0: all. But that first, though, those parts are so impactive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Is that even a word? Impact. It is now. <laughs> <laughs> impactful is what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. They're so impactful that, like. You almost leave the record forgetting the gorgeous parts. Right. And then you then you remember that. Oh, wow. This was actually a very beautiful record. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yep. musically, it's. So gorgeous, but yeah, I definitely hear like in her voice echoes of PJ Harvey. Mm-hmm. It's like if PJ Harvey and um, Nocturno Colto and Fenris from Dark Throne <laughs> collaborated. Yeah, I can That's see that. What this record? It's like Dark Throne meets PJ Harvey. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Sweet. Yeah, nice. So, um, all right, uh. Yeah, no, uh, I loved it. Oh, yeah, where are we at now?
1: Now Uh, we're ready for the local record.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Jeez, I need to get my shit together tonight. (laughs) Uh, This uh, Hint Water is uh, really, um, it's doing quite a...
1: Drinking that Hint Water? That Hint Water, That's the problem, you're possessed.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, it's a water-infused blackberry essence. Mm. So something in there is really just screwing with my mind it's infusing you it's infusing you're infused
1: me. with confusion
0: infused with confusion <laughs> infusing the confusion oh that's pretty good <laughs> that is good so yeah maybe that'll be the podcast
1: oh, man um, watch out y'all <laughs> yeah <laughs> get ready you,
0: get ready because you know you know yeah yeah if you're listening to this which you're not going to be because <laughs> you're already going to see the title by the time you're listening to this oh that's true It's only
1: it's only a mystery to us. Wow. Yes,
0: exactly. Intense. All right. So, what was the other one anyway? um, So this is the local section, and uh, I gotta say, guys, that um, we couldn't think of anybody who's putting out anything particularly new. So what we decided to do was uh, dig up some classic archives of good bands from uh, Iowa. And so at my suggestion, we're going to talk about this five song demo EP. I don't know which one it was intended to be. I I'm assuming I'll just call it an EP from this band called Brazil. And the name of it is love lost her job today. It can be found on three one nine. Dude.Bandcamp.com, which is um, run by somebody from the Quad Cities. I'm not sure who it is, actually. (laughs) But um, he keeps these archives of um, old, like, demos. And he puts them up on Bandcamp for free. And then I believe that um, the donations actually go to... Oh, God. I'm a terrible... Consumer
1: uh, Association... An organ an organization fighting for GMO food labeling and against the Muscatine Monsanto Corporation. So there. You it go. doesn't actually say Muscatine. I just. Threw that in for
0: fun. <laughs> well, you know the Monsanto Corporation is no longer in Muscatine. Oh
1: no, I didn't know that. No, I, I don't go into Muscatine proper anymore. I go on the bypass, <laughs> and I go about one block
0: into so. Muscatine from the bypass. So what is the prop? Oh, okay, got you. All right, so I get what you're saying. Yeah, okay. no, it's it's a much better company that cares for a well-being bear. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, you know, they went from GMO foods to uh, GMO mm. medicine. Great. Oh, uh, <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, so thank you, Eric, because uh, I had a hard time remembering uh, where the donations go to. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Uh, so this is on 319dude.bandcamp.com. So is a uh, old demo from a band called Girls of Command who may or may not have had a member from this podcast. One of these two people, I'll let you guess which one it is.
1: Can I guess?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so, Eric. <laughs> and <Okay. laughs> actually, there might be something with you somewhere on this page too, no, Eric. I don't know. no. Well, Old Scratch Revival Singers, maybe. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, who knows?
1: Who uh, knows?
0: I want to <laughs> say that. or Anyway, okay, so aside from all that, Brazil. Um, Brazil was one of many bands that Matthew Davis, rest in peace, uh, was in uh, from... I don't know, like the late 90s to, well, until his passing, which was in 2003, uh, from Iowa City. And um, this was actually the first group that I saw him in. Uh, His much more well-known group, uh, which started out as the Vita Blue and then became 10 Grand. um, I also saw a number of times. But... This band, I think, actually predates Vita Blue by maybe a year. Perhaps Mm. I'm wrong on that, but um, I saw them and I recall this. This is something I will never forget. I saw them at Gabe's in 99 and they were opening for Alkaline Trio and the Honor System. Hmm. And this was before the Alkaline Trio got, you know, really, really big. I mean, they were still they were already kind of a a local success around this area because they were from Chicago. And so they were uh, an indie success. But before they got on a major label and all that stuff. Hmm. Um, And then the honor system had former members of a band called the Broadways, which I was really into at that time. Hmm. And Brazil were second. Out of four bands on that bill. And they were the only local band. Hmm. The only local supporting band. On that bill. And I remember the first band played. And I don't even remember who it was. But they were just kind of your. Typical sort of pop punk. Hmm. Pretty good. I remember them being kind of fun. But yeah they weren't really memorable. Brazil comes on stage. And it's three guys. And I remember. Um. Uh, Just right away, it was really it was interesting because they uh, the drummer had his drum set uh, placed so that his back was to the audience. Hmm. And I remember like they set up and, you know, got tuned and everything. And I remember reading the description on the flyer that they were like emo and I still did not really know what emo was at this time. Mm-hmm. And, um, so then they went into their first song and it was actually the opening song on this demo called Lights," And I was really into like sunny day real estate and stuff like that at that time. But I still, I had never really heard the term emo. I, no one really ever described sunny day as emo to me at that point. Mm. So when I kept seeing it on flyers, I kind of didn't know what the hell it was. Mm. I remember talking to John uh, in our interview with John Burns. Mm -hmm. I actually ended up asking John Burns through an email back then what emo was. And he like, Mm. you know, described it to me and anyway, and I mentioned that I think during the John Burns interview, Mm. but um, anyway, uh, so they went into their first song and I just remember like, I, I just I couldn't take my eyes off the stage because the intensity within the first like two minutes was already there. And then when it got to the heavy part, Matt just started flailing around on stage like a madman and screaming. And wasn't even like screaming into the mic half the time, but his screams were so loud that you could hear it over the guitar. And it was just, I had never seen anything like it. I was just, mind was blown, jaw was dropped. I mean, it was just like incredible. And I just stood there. I kept getting closer to the front stage. And after they got done playing, I just was like, there is no way any band can top this tonight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was right. I mean, in in my opinion, in my opinion, I mean, there's probably, you know, a lot of Alkaline Trio fans at that time that didn't want anything to do with them. You know what I mean? But for me, it was like, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Like, I had never heard anything like this. What this band sounded like was kind of Midwestern emo in a way, but with like these really just almost blood curdling like sections of just pure raw, like hardcore punk. I mean, at times it's like, it sounds like, I don't know, like Thursday mixed with like the bad brains or something. Hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, or even like parts, even like the fast parts sound like sometimes something like Fugazi, but, not really, and but then there's like these parts of just pure beauty where it's like it sounds like U2 or Joy Division or something like that, like early U2 records, or mm-hmm. you know, like stuff like that. You can tell that Matt was into all of this stuff. Um, he was, you know, probably into The Cure, probably into Bad Brains, probably into Fog- I don't, you know, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. I would the music that was coming out of these guys would suggest that. Um, Now I will say the recordings are kind of rough because I assume that, um, you know, they, this was recorded in 99. So my assumption is it might've been recorded on a four track, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you know, maybe an eight track. I'm not really sure, but the songs are just very, very powerful. And if you can just picture yourself at like a punk show with, a band kind of going off with this style of music. Um, I also just kind of feel like this was kind of a band that is an example of sort of like the emo core, emotional hardcore before it got really just, you know, before it became really popular, which I hate. Mm -hmm. I hate to say that because that makes me sound like I'm being like some sort of old guy who's harping on the newer stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, it really was like, like you could tell that the music, while it had moments of pure beauty and even like melody in some of it, they weren't interested in like trying to commercialize their music. It was really something that I think was just kind of coming from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I mean, the recording unfortunately doesn't do what this band doesn't do justice to what the band was seeing them live it's kind of something that i think you had to experience to maybe 100 percent understand why it was so so good and impactful at the time and then his band uh 10 grand which was more of a uh almost like a straight up like jesus lizard meets fugazi meets at the drive-in but also with elements of sort of emo but i would say more upbeat Hmm. uh or just maybe faster at times Hmm. noisier even than brazil that band actually was kind of on their way to getting some pretty doing pretty big things they were actually uh getting ready to head out on a on a big tour that was gonna actually leave them uh pretty much i think that from what I heard, I don't know if this is true, but I had heard that all the members basically moved out of their places mm-hmm. and put all their stuff in storage because they were going to be gone on tour for like a year.
2: Mm.
0: And then it became later, it became it, it was revealed that they were actually uh, they caught the attention of Rico Kasich, mm-hmm. of all people, who was actually going to produce like their latest album or mm. at least there were negotiations of it. I'm not really sure and then unfortunately, Matthew Davis passed away like two days before that tour was going to begin. Hmm. And so I didn't, I didn't know Matt, but he definitely made a huge impact on me mm-hmm. as a local musician and was just one piece of the puzzle of people like, I don't know, Fran Kadina, people like Eric Whitaker, <laughs> mm-hmm. who, um, really just sort of made me kind of say, Hey, you know what? I can, you know, I can, I can do this. This is cool. Like I like music. I, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it really inspired me to do stuff like that. Um, so yeah. Um, what did you think of this, Eric?
1: Yeah. Hopefully, um, I, this won't be anticlimactic. Um, I, I liked this. I will say that it, the recording was pretty rough um the vocals are very intense and very loud in the mix but i think it really conveys the emotion of it like you can't you can't hear it and think that it's being phoned in at all so i think that's great and especially since it serves as sort of a time capsule and i think that um people that didn't know Matt Davis would like you kind of oh hello
0: yeah sorry uh, you cut out you cut out there for a second oh
1: okay I I would assume that people that knew Matt Davis are just fine with his voice being very prominent in the mix and being able to hear his voice you know and so I think that's cool I I never met matt davis or at least didn't know him um i i was just not in the loop i wasn't in the scene i wasn't in the area and so i didn't know of this band i didn't know of most of the things happening around this time and um i think one of my bands gimpy might have played with 10 grand one time um but we didn't really interact we just were on a show together so um so a lot of this was uh went right by me I didn't know anything about it of course I've you know gotten to know people here in the area um, who are connected or at least good friends or were good friends with Matt um, like Luke Tweedy and Will Whitmore and uh, just some other people Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah I never personally knew him so um, but he sounds like uh, he was a pretty important person in the scene and had an impact on a lot of people so um but yeah I, this was cool i think i need to spend some time maybe listening to um 10 grand um to get a better idea of what his music probably sounded like because like i said the the recording of this makes it difficult to i think really truly get what's happening a little bit but What I could get from it, though, I loved the interplay between the guitar and the bass. Um, A lot of intricate parts where you can't even tell what is the guitar and what is the bass. Um, And the the drums are really cool. They're like really uh, like Fugazi-ish. Or, you know, it's funny when I was listening to this, I never realized musically how similar I think Modest Mouse and Fugazi are. Like I've I've never thought about it until I was listening to this and I was just like, Oh, this sounds like Fugazi. And then literally within the same second, I'm like, actually, this sounds like modest mouse. And so that's interesting to me that hearing this made me realize sort of that musical uh, similarity with the, with the drums being very out front and, and very, um, it's complicated drumming, but it's it's sparse in its own way, too. Every, It's really deliberate drumming, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of messing around. It's complicated, but it's also every hit is on purpose and, and has an impact and means something. Uh, and then around that, you just have a lot of really intricate guitar and bass happening, and then on top of that, very on top of that, you have... Sh- shrieked vocals I would almost say not shrieked that might be shouted for sure Um, but they do enter into a uh, I don't know how to say it they enter into a not necessarily tonal place they become a little atonal they become pure emotion versus singing and I think that's really cool so I ended up really liking this Um, like I said I think I need to check out some more of um matt davis's output to really hear what he was doing so and i i'm excited to do that so i think it was a cool pick and uh, again to come into it sort of blind versus everyone else having this background and knowledge and experiences um it was cool to hear it um but i don't i don't think that i will ever understand truly what this sounds like to other people that were part of the experience so
0: yeah. Yeah. And I would strongly, that's actually a really great uh, thing to mention is uh, that those of you who do go to 319dude.bandcamp.com and check this out, um, I would strongly recommend also checking out the band Ten Grand. Uh, none of their stuff is on Spotify, but you can go to YouTube and they actually have two albums that actually were released under the name 10 grand, Hmm. uh, which was uh, this is the way to rule. And uh, the comprehensive list of everyone who's ever done anything (laughs) wrong to us, which that there's actually kind of a cool story behind that. The first track actually lists off in one of those computer voices, Hmm. um, a bunch of people that have actually done wrong (laughs) things to them. And like, like there's one part where it's like the asshole who sold, stole Joel's PlayStation.
1: Wow. Nice.
0: <laughs> and then there's like another part where it's the get up kids. <laughs> and I was like the get up kids. Well, I guess the get up kids played with 10 grand when they were the Vita blue and treated them pretty awful. Mm. I guess I don't really know the story behind that, but anyway, so, but that is a killer record. And then their first record came out, under the name the Vita Blue. It's they never did repress it with the name Ten Grand. Hmm. It's called Our Miracle Point of Contact, which is also a great title. Mm-hmm. Then what happened was is the dude from Fish did a side project called Vita Blue and got wind of them and actually sent them a cease and desist letter. And then they they said, Well, we've had the name Vita Blue longer than than you have and they ended up The legend is, is that they ended up getting paid like 10 grand Hmm. and that's where they came up with the name 10 grand. Gotcha. Yeah. I think I've heard that before, which is a great fucking story. Um, so yeah, it's (laughs) 10 grand were freaking awesome. If you're into Fagazi at the drive-in nation of Ulysses, all that stuff, that was the kind of stuff that they were doing sweet with kind of an emo hint as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed the show, but it's time for me and Eric to go. Wow. Did you just write that?
1: You've been working in, on it
0: in my head. Oh. I, I, pull, I pulled a Travis Munson, so like that's literally you, like You the smacked type a bunch of...
1: of people with a giant centipede.
0: <laughs> no, I did not do that.
1: Oh, okay. That
0: I, I could never reach that <laughs> level of intellect, uh, but. Um, I uh did come up with something off the top of my head that made people smile maybe.
1: Wow. I did. You did too? Yeah. No, I mean I smiled.
0: Oh, okay. I, I
1: actually haven't I, stopped smiling this entire time. I It's um it's like my little secret when I think about people listening to this a, and yeah. they have no idea that I've just have this big creepy smile on my face the entire time <laughs> we do the podcast
0: <laughs> yeah no i i i do the same thing like it's like the I'm richard listening-
1: d james album cover over here <laughs> the whole time
0: <laughs> i think that would be i we should start doing like video of this on the youtube channel i also put a like, shirt on when we're like <laughs> yeah. uh yeah we yeah, will have to put clothes on yeah. but uh, anyway um that that would be really funny to see like our facial like we're laughing like you're talking about like something like ingua what the heck is her name again lingua lingua, ignata lingua ignata and i'm sitting there smiling when you're talking about you know which i shouldn't be smiling about that but i do smile about things that i shouldn't smile about like when we were talking about colts and gangs
1: (laughs) i'm still smiling from that so
0: speaking of which um (laughs) lingua tacos have you ever heard of them Tongue tacos. Tongue tacos. Yeah. yeah.
1: Back when I was a big meat eater, I would go to this place up here called uh, La Regia and uh, mm-hmm. I would get two cheek tacos and one tongue taco. And I would just basically eat an entire cow mouth. And I thought that was really funny.
0: <laughs> I always thought it was really I thought <laughs> I thought it was really. I think it's really interesting that people eat like parts of the animal that literally are like. Like pig intestines, yeah. Like, that's crazy. The
1: tongue. Have you had tongue tacos?
0: Yes, I did oh, try. Animal. I love them. Yeah.
1: I loved them. Yeah. They were the most it's tender actually, meat. The cheeks are very good too.
0: <laughs> I've never eaten a cow cheek, but hmm.
1: well, get on it. Cow, have one for cow me. Tongue is good. I'll live, live vicariously <laughs> through your well, cheek maybe eating.
0: All- Maybe they'll come out with uh, vegan cheeks, plant cheeks. <laughs> based cheeks. based cheeks—that's my you never ass. <laughs> <laughs> plant based cheeks and
1: tongues? No, no,
0: no. <laughs> you never That know. is the end of the show. We're not <laughs> talking about
1: ass tongues. <laughs>
0: well, Eric doesn't want to talk about ass tongues. Whether it comes out okay. of an ass
1: or goes into an ass, I'm. See now we have to label this explicit. We just got into obscene territory. So
0: you mean we didn't with the Colts and gangs? No. Oh, okay. It has to
1: be um, created uh, to titillate. That—that's the <laughs> definition of obscene. And so. Um, so you know. we've
0: titillated a lot.
1: <laughs> I think with our our last um, our last subject, maybe I don't know. I don't know. Okay, it depends on if you're a millennial or not. I've I've heard they're, yeah, they're pretty they're, into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, they they like all of this stuff. They <laughs> they like the cheeks and tongues. Oh my God! Let's <laughs> let's end this show. All right, but but it's okay because it's plant based. So oh no, no harm. Woo. Okay.
1: All right, <laughs> all right,
0: ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> should I do a singing outro again?
1: Well, yeah, we should also. Say things like, you know, you can find us on Spotify.
0: Oh. Oh, oh I got and, an idea.
1: Oh, okay, go ahead.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, you can find us on Spotify. <laughs> and you can also find <laughs> us on transistor.fm. And my Instagram is Dan underscore the underscore ruler. And Eric, yours is Eric Eerie underscore. underscore Eerie. Eric. Okay. Oh, it's supposed to
1: sing underscore whitaker. <laughs> Should I do your voice?
0: Too? <laughs> there you go. Well, and you also know.
1: accelerative thrust has its own Instagram too.
2: And Facebook
0: and as Facebook.
1: well. Oh God.
0: All right. <laughs> you know <laughs> Y'all uh, next next week we'll do grindcore renditions oh, of our no. outro.
1: And I'll do my impression of Dan doing grindcore. It's gonna be <laughs> oh, wait. it's gonna be cool.
0: That is something I am dying to hear.
1: Oh man! So even with the ten minutes edited out for my cat attack, uh, this wait, is way really... too long.
0: <laughs> yeah, d- this is bordering on uh, this is bordering on stupid today. <laughs> yeah, but...
1: bordering. God damn, <laughs> Bord- that's a wide border apparently. <laughs> it's a
0: wide border of stupid. Oof. Oh, the titles just keep coming out of the tongue. Oh, my God. Girls Enough tongues. Okay. <laughs> this is it. No. All right, folks. You guys all have a uh, good night. Okay. Bye, y'all. <laughs> Bye.